Hi there, Dickens Olewe here. Thanks for checking in. This interview is part of a 10-part special series about how the media in Africa covers politics, governance, and elections. With my guest, we'll explore the challenges and ideas of how journalism can support, not undermine democracy. So look out for the other interviews on your podcast feed. Let me know what you think about the series. Okay, here's the pod. Enjoy. I don't think we've learned the lesson that clicks don't actually mean people are reading quality journalism. So we still need to get to more nuanced metrics. I'm Sipo Kings. I'm the editorial director at The Continent, which is a weekly newspaper that is published for an African audience. Great, Sipo. So I'll, I'll get to The Continent later. You tweeted the other day, uh, you know, this tweet picked my interest and, and I'll read it out. I edit and read a great deal of journalism. I have a vested interest and I too often give up because things are written for other journalists, for experts or for vanity. My question is, what is journalism for? Why do we bother do journalism? You're asking the most existential question <laughs> after um, how do we pay for it? Um, everyone has really good answers for this or really confused answers for this. And I always think it's just journalism exists exists to tell stories and look at who has power and how that power plays out. Because it's, especially on the African continent, you have often foreign groups who have incredible amounts of power and they bring with them biases and all of their own assumptions. And that power then abuses people and it stops people from reaching their potential. So if journalists can tell those stories, and question that power. We're equipping communities with information so they can say, well, hang on, maybe we don't want this mine or we do want this power station or whatever it is the community wants and believes is best for them. I mean, wh- one of the things that you know came to mind just uh, from reading your tweet, I mean, lots of things came to mind actually, but one of them was how do we measure journalism? How do we measure impact of, uh, you know, uh, reporting? What's the best way? In terms of measuring impact of journalism, there's, I think, especially with donor-funded journalism, we've gone to a level of, and the internet, of metrics of just clicks, how many people are reading, how long are they reading for? Um, But mostly it's what is the reach of this audience, which is probably the wrong way to do it because it's not measuring, are people actually reading the story and are they digesting it? You know, you can have a really good investigation about, say, a company polluting a wetland, where people don't read beyond the headline and maybe the first two paragraphs. So they don't take away the nuance, the fullness of the story. Um, and in, in my view, in a very simple way, if people don't read your story, then you have failed at the journalism. You've done the first part, which is gather the information, do that really difficult work. And then that last part, of getting people to consume it, whatever platform you're working on, you've then failed, which seems really sad. Mm-hmm. Um, but our industry, it seems works that way in most places where we're more interested in pulling the story together than we are in it being consumed and being read or listened to. So I think that that metric is broken, let's say, of just numbers. Um, and I know we... Like the, let's say the Huffington Post era of 
how many clicks could you get and clickbait? We've starting to move past that, mostly because that didn't turn into revenue. I don't think we've learned the lesson that clicks don't actually mean people are reading mm-hmm. quality journalism. So we still need to get to more nuanced metrics like the New York Times and those kind of publications who have all the, the computing power. Look at things like mm-hmm. how many people subscribed as a result of your reading. And that's, you know, there's obviously issues with rewarding journalists for that and linking that to pay, but that's a way of at least saying to journalists, people enjoying your piece, reading your piece, engaging with your piece in a, in a quite a meaningful manner is what you should be striving for, which might be the way forward. But, but again, you have to be quite a big organization with a lot of technological power to pull that off. From what I'm hearing you say is that, you know, we definitely, there is a lot of in- innovation that needs to be done. But the innovation has to be in storytelling, not necessarily this shiny things that uh, we're obsessed about. Is that correct? Yeah, it's definitely going back to that, you know, when you asked what is the point of journalism, it is throughout human history, we've been a species that is at its core storytellers, right? It's one of the reasons we've evolved beyond other species to sort of dominate the world is because we can share stories about places and time. And we often forget that in journalism. Like this is as much as it isn't, an oral culture, all the podcasts are getting to that. That is what we are as humans, as storytellers. And as journalists, we need to remember that and sort of tap back into that. Mm-hmm. Um, so in, 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 one, in obviously this series that I'm doing is, is all about uh, democracy and media. And, and one of the people I interviewed, I kind of br- brought this up and I, obviously I'm interested in your point of view. Um, so Mehdi Hassan, who's a, a British journalist, um, was at Al Jazeera now at MSNBC in the US, uh, said something that really stuck with me. Uh, and he said that journalists should have a bias, and that bias should be towards democracy. What's your view on that? We often have this conversation in our newsroom where it's sort of the Paul Kagame conundrum, right? Where that ostensibly isn't a democracy, but for a lot of people in, say, Rwanda, the system is working for them. Um, And Kagame and others will say, well, we're not ready for democracy or democracy doesn't work in this particular context. So I think I try and stay away from the label of democracy because it is a very American sense of what is democracy. Whenever people talk about democracy, they talk, you're getting the whole system. You're getting basically America, right? Mm -hmm. You're getting an imposition of American values on your country. But the basic of it where communities are involved in deciding who leads them and who makes decisions over them and their future, journalism has a really strong role to play there in giving people information with which to make those decisions and also making sure that the people in power don't abuse that power. Um, So I wouldn't label it as defenders of democracy or other things that people do, especially in our context in Africa. Just too much baggage with that terminology. Uh, you know, on the continent, obviously, there are, you know, different shades of democracy. I mean, I've always had this point of view uh, that accountable-seeking journalism uh, doesn't have to be adversarial. I mean, what do you think about that? One of the big problems we always see is ownership, where either political figures or business people with political connections own a lot of the newspapers on the continent. So they sway 
editorial values of that newspaper. Um, so ownership structures are a very real problem for us, but I think it's difficult in contexts where, I mean, let's, let's look at South Africa where the government itself is, the governing party is a, a corrupt mechanism, a mechanism for corruption. And all your opposition parties also have very serious problems and flaws with them. So your journalism almost becomes a adversarial to anyone in power because there are so few choices for voters or ostensibly no choices for voters. So you, I think journalism ends up defaulting to being adversarial because you're like, there's, the whole system is broken. There are so many issues. So we're just going to keep pointing out those issues in the hope that people will create a better future um, with the information that they have. And at the moment, I don't see another way of doing it. What would be your advice on, on the best way to engage audiences? Th that is a key relationship, isn't it? I think one of the big things we lost with the internet, besides putting everything online for free, was curation. And you know, if you look at a news bulletin or you look at a weekly newspaper or a daily newspaper, what we're really good at is saying to people, here are the things we think is important. We're explaining a little bit of the world um, to you. So you don't have to be overwhelmed all the time. You don't have to sit on Twitter, let's say, all the time and just keep absorbing information. You can trust, you know, trust the professionals to have this for you. Um, and I think that's something we need to consciously do more. So it is that idea of storytelling, but you're storytelling through and a half an hour news segment or a 30 page newspaper. And in my experience, that's what people then want because they know they can come to this one thing, they can pick it up or they can listen to it and get a snapshot of the world. And that really works because we're all overwhelmed. We can only give so much time towards paying attention to what's happening or um, the latest crisis. Mm -hmm. So it is that. And also not being afraid to show readers that you are professionals. Mm -hmm. Like journalists are really good at taking vast amounts of information and boiling it down and hopefully giving that to audiences in a really interesting, readable, relatable manner. Well, let's talk about uh, elections because, you know, you have uh, in South Africa elections in the next uh, a few weeks. You know, how, how is the media in South Africa approaching, you know, the coverage of this election? Do are you seeing some sort of like change in uh, in how the the election is, you know they cover elections or or what are you seeing there? I think that the base problem is that the economic problems of the industry means there are fewer reporters with fewer resources, right? So your coverage, I mean, I think there's a universal truth is mm. more based on cities and elites and um, what are politicians saying. So we just have talking heads talking about whatever they think is important. Um, but what is encouraging is, and I think this is a result of things like Brexit and the Donald Trump election, where media missed it. They missed big trends because they didn't speak mm -hmm. to communities because they were just talking to, to uh, the figures that are controversial and trend. And what we are seeing, which is good, is more going to communities, talking to communities, and trying to get a sense of what issues 
actual people care about and how that will impact how they vote or how they'll demonstrate or how they won't vote. So it is, and I think this is the story of journalism at the time, at this moment where it is a moment of crisis. We're not doing a lot of things well, but there are lots of signs that we're learning lessons and trying to be better. Yeah, we're talking about democracy here. Uh, but then if there's any other topic, um, you know, crisis topic is, is climate change, uh, what are the lessons there uh, in terms of, you know, how to best uh, report uh, such an existential issue as climate change and to bring that in the conscience of, uh, of the public and also to the point where it influences politics? I mean, wh- where are you with that? Um, or is it just the same problem as democracy um, faces on the continent? Whatever environment or climate reporters get together and it's always the thing of how do you make audiences care? Because right, it's this almost never-ending story where things will get worse in the future and we need to make decisions now to affect the future and to affect the present, right? And it's, so in my experience and talking to other people, it is, again, the thing of telling stories about people. Like, we're, we're most interested in the experience of other people in different places and in the same places as us for what we can learn from that and what we can learn about where they live and how their world works. So in climate, that's we often hook that around crisis because it's, especially visually, it's a lot happening when there's a tornado or volcano or whatever is happening. Um, and just hearing other people talking about their climate system or their environment, and then linking that to the bigger political story of, you know, the U.S. isn't reducing carbon emissions or U.S. companies are continuing to build all sorts of awful things. How is this affecting communities along the Sahel, for instance? So it is that like climate really lends itself to the sort of micro immediate story and then zooming out to the why does this matter on a global scale in every single story, which is mm-hmm. a nice metric of doing it. And then the other one, which it enough isn't enough of this done and more needs to be done is climate investigations where like if you look at a big petrochemical companies they systematically lobby and change public opinion in order to stop any action against mm-hmm. them right um and investigations by groups like pro public into this kind of thing have had a huge impact in changing the narrative around these big polluters so more of that of like treating climate as an investigative beat and a politics beat. So there's a lot of potential. There's also a lot of investment in climate reporting around the world. And unfortunately, mostly in big Western newsrooms where they're building climate reporting units and bureaus. We're not seeing it as much on the continent yet. I imagine we'll get there as we get more funding and more funded newsrooms. Um, But at the moment it's, in Africa specifically, it's other people telling the story about us, not us telling our own story. It's kind of depressing uh, hearing that. So um, are you kind of just saying that when, even when it comes to not just public policy, but, you know, kind of uh, political competition and just kind of 
competition of ideas in policies and manifestos. I mean, take South Africa, for example. Do you think that, you know, this will probably be a factor, uh, however minor, maybe in the next election? Are you seeing a rise in consciousness or, or not? Until politicians think they can lose votes because of a climate issue, they won't care. Because that is their essential bread and butter. Can I get more power? And at the moment, not. There's, like, climate just isn't an issue in conversations around election times. But at the same time, it depends how you frame it, right? So environment issues like access to water or local pollution or air pollution or children getting sick is always a big issue, especially in communities that are at the bottom end of um, the power structure. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, environment issues, which are climate issues, are always electoral issues, and especially during local elections rather than national elections. So it just depends how you frame it. Yeah. I, I want to... Uh, ask you um, about the continent. That's my, the con- that's my last question. But I want to go back to um, th- your tweet um, and especially the bit about how journalists are writing for experts and also for vanity. And I'm curious about whether you think the whole uh, reward and awards system has also encouraged that. So in the reward system, award system, like you see it where there is a features category and it's almost that, well, it is that thing of, this is the category for things that people read or were interested in reading or were well-written. And there's every other category. Um, So you'll have investigations or you'll have business reporting. And those are stories. And from my own experience of seeing all these finalists and the winners, those are stories that it's rewarding the job of pulling the story together. Like this was a very difficult story to pull together on all these strands and to get it out there. And mm-hmm. it revealed X, Y, Z about let's say a company or a politician. It doesn't matter if anyone read it, right? That the fact that the story was published is rewarded. And I think that needs to change in terms of judges thinking, well, would I have read the story? You know, when this came out, would I have actually read the story and would I have learned what it was telling me? And so like in the contents example, our stories are 300 words on a page and the longer stories we run are 900 words. And even that we do very infrequently. And I don't ever see a 300 or 600 word story winning an award because right? we're always going to give a story that is 2,000 words long where we go, well, 2,000 words is a lot more work, so we should give it more prominence. Um, but people don't read 2,000 words. I, I don't. Like Very rarely do you read something that's worth investing that much time, you know, 10, 20 minutes of reading. So our, definitely our reward system needs to think about does this care about the audience or readers? Uh, my last question, what next uh, for the continent? I mean, the little that I can say, obviously, as I cue you to give the answer, is that this is a WhatsApp uh, fast publication which was launched more than a year now. Uh, been, you know, I'm a big fan of probably one of the first subscribers. And what next for the continent? So the, the what next is, um, I wish we had the answer to it, because when we created the continent, it was in response to a crisis. So COVID 
basically just arrived on the African continent in terms of uh, local transmission. And you were seeing newsrooms closing down because advertising models had collapsed even further. So we created it to ensure that there was a place for more journalism and especially journalism on the continent about the continent, which was sort of being lost because of COVID. So since then, we've just been about keeping that going and refining that publication. So our 30, 32 odd pages every week, making it better and better and getting funding to make sure we can keep. But because audiences have really taken to it, and we now have 15,000 subscribers every week, there's clearly a demand for that kind of journalism and people want to read it. So there are all sorts of opportunities, Mm. like creating a, a version in French for Francophone Africa, which often gets overlooked because, you know, the New York Times and the Guardian and those places are publishing in English um, or a Kiswahili version. There's, there's all sorts of options. I know the potential is limitless, right? It's just um, time and mental health to make it all possible. This interview is part of a 10-part special series about how the media in Africa covers politics, governance, elections, and the impact this has on democracy on the continent. If you want to subscribe to my podcast, just search for the Dickens Olewe podcast on any of the main podcast apps. Let me know what you think about the series. Reach out to me on Twitter. My handle is at Dickens Olewe. Until next time, bye-bye.